from a general medical perspective on any diagnosis, the question is, is it going to help to have a diagnosis? Is it going to change my management? And if you think that you are going to approach your child differently or their teachers might approach them differently or they might have more supports that they need, then I think there's what's the harm in pursuing? I mean, there's one harm, which is always the expense. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Dr. Catherine Hackman. If you haven't listened to part one, do yourself a favor, pause here, go back, listen to Monday's episode, and then pop back over here to listen to the end of our conversation. There's so much important information in part one, and I would hate for you to miss the context. So part two of our conversation in terms of anxiety in children we dive right into Dr. Catherine answering a question that I put to her at the end of the last episode. I basically said to Catherine, okay, all of this is great. Everything you've said is great in part one, but what would you say parents need to keep in mind when other people say to them, everything that you are doing, like all of this extra scaffolding, this extra legwork is likely making it worse and maybe the scaffolding you're providing for your child is actually reducing their ability to be resilient. Because if you remember in part one, Dr. Catherine was talking about creating stories for kids to help them to understand what's potentially about to unfold. And so I said to Catherine, what about resilience? And what about if things go off script? What do you say then? Like, how do you answer if someone says to you, is this making your child's anxiety worse? So that's where part two kicks off. And we get into a lot of stuff in part two, a lot of stuff, so technical, Kylie. But we talk about when it's appropriate to actually seek a diagnosis if you have a concern for your child, not just in regards to anxiety. I know myself, I've had those moments where I have thought, oh, I think perhaps I need to do a little more exploration here. And I just really appreciated Dr. Catherine's honesty and response because she's clearly a loving, nurturing mother, but she also is a logical medical practitioner. And so having those two things combined, I really enjoyed the way that Dr. Catherine explained exactly what it is that a diagnosis can provide a family. We talk about effective management for anxiety and visual planners for kids of all ages. Um, You'll also hear at the end of our conversation, I was talking about my little boy who was going on school camp. And there's a part where I am saying like, oh, you know, I want him to go because I think I say it in the first episode as well. Like I want him to go because I want him to know that I vote for his ability to be able to do things. But in my heart of hearts and in the back of my mind, actually the front of my mind, I fully thought I would have to pick him up from school camp. And as I was listening back to this episode, there was a little part of me that thought, oh, should I chop that out? Because I didn't end up having to pick him up 
from school camp. But I thought, no, it's actually probably more helpful to keep that in and to say like, yes, this stuff happens as parents. We think sometimes that we can predict the outcome and then we're wrong. You know, even when I was doing in-home visits for infant sleep consultancy, so often I would have this conversation with parents where I would say, just give it one more minute if you can, you know, one more minute, 30 seconds if you can. And in like the space of 10, 20, 30 seconds, sometimes a minute, things would shift and you get proven wrong. And as a parent, sometimes that is the best feeling ever because we can live in this state of like hypervigilance and going, oh, I know that the wheels are going to come off. And then when they don't, it's really satisfying. And so I thought I would leave that part in, but I wanted to also make it really clear I was wrong. I didn't have to go and pick him up from school camp. And so I am really, really glad that even though I had those thoughts that he wouldn't last, I still took the actions that aligned with our family values of believing in one another. And so maybe there is some sort of lesson there, not just for you, the listener, but for me. Like, I think that's a really powerful thing to reflect on because sometimes we think we know (laughs) what's going to happen and we just don't. So I wanted to address that because it is in this episode. A little bit more about Dr. Catherine for those of you who may not remember, or perhaps if you are being a little bit cheeky and just listening to part two, Dr. Catherine Hackman is the founder of the Courageous Kids app. And the Courageous Kids app actually has a seven day free trial. The link is in the show notes. So if you want to download this app, download it to an iPad if you have one available Um, I think Dr. Catherine also says during our conversation, if you don't do screen time with your kids, you can also access the app and print things off, which I think is just wonderful. So Dr. Catherine Hackman, she's the founder of the Courageous Kids app, a mum of two and a practicing medical doctor. She knows firsthand the heartbreak of having a child struggle with anxiety and the effort and work that goes along into supporting them. Catherine believes that no child should go without the emotional support they need and deserve, but many parents simply don't know where to start. She created Courageous Kids to empower parents with the practical tools that they need to set their children up for success. So let's get into part two of my conversation with Dr. Catherine. If you enjoy this episode, it would mean the world to me if you share it with a friend. Copy the link, flick it on, take a screenshot, pop it up on your stories. All of that stuff truly makes a huge difference to me. And I'm sure Dr. Catherine would love to hear from you as well. All of the links are in the show notes to access the Courageous Kids app. And remember, it does have that free seven day trial. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Firstly, um, resilience is built and having a trusting relationship and knowing someone's got your back and doing things with your child until they can do it alone is key. Um, and that's how you build confidence in children. So you are setting, I would say, no, I feel I feel that I'm setting my child up for success by using these strategies. Um, and then the second thing is specifically, what if things change? I am very careful with the wording in my stories. And the stories really are about helping your child imagine what's going to happen or how they may feel. So I never promise. So when I introduce, for example, I've got a couple of stories about going to the dentist. I will never say the dentist is lovely because what if the dentist is not feeling lovely that day? I might say mum's met the dentist and says that they are lovely or says that they've got a big smile, but I'll never promise how a person will be or how they'll act. Um, and so I think what it all comes back to is trust and being honest with our kids. I mean, I would never tell my kids that something isn't going to hurt if it is going to hurt, but I will tell them what we'll do to minimize it and how bad it is or how not bad it is and put it in a frame that they can understand it and it and it feels right to them. I'm so glad that we're getting into the details because I think that's important for parents to understand. I think it would be very easy for someone to listen and go, okay, well, I'll go and write a story about a wonderful day and then my child will think they're going to have a wonderful day. But that's not what you're saying. What you're saying is you're just prepping them for what may happen, what is likely to happen. And it's not necessarily saying to them, you're going to have the best day ever oh, no, and this no, is no. how it's going to unfold. actually, you know that that's not helpful for building trust or building confidence. You know, if, if you say, or I did, I'm on a podcast with Kylie and I'm so, you know, nervous. She's got all these people listening and what if I say something crazy? If someone said, you'll be right, I would not feel better. And if they say, oh, well, if you muck up, you'll just have a laugh, don't worry about it, that makes, you know, that's acknowledging that things can go wrong and that's much more honest. And so it's the same with kids. You know, the stories that I made, so for my little one who was really nervous about starting school, because this will go back to your question of how, how do I prepare a nervous kid for something big starting school. So we visited lots of times. So we developed familiarity. So we've developed familiarity by going and then through the stories. So the money shot, as I call it, is in the pre-visit. I take a photo with my kid with his teacher in the classroom because I'm going to use that photo throughout the stories to develop that familiarity and talk a bit more about the teacher and what do we know about her and what or him my, my kid had a female teacher what do we know about her what does she like what do we notice about her and so it's about building familiarity and, and but keeping honest you know if if a question that my child is really worried about um, whether the teacher will be strict and whether they'll get in trouble and whether it's a sort of teacher that will keep them in at lunchtime um, and so again, it's not about saying no, no, no. It's saying I'm not sure, but I wouldn't have thought so because you know when you're teaching a class of five-year-olds, they don't usually choose a strictest teacher. And if they are strict, then we'll go in and have a chat and say you know, and we'll come up with strategies. All of all of these stories are to work out what are the sticking points for your child, what are the parts that actually make them anxious, and then having the discussion like you said, Kylie. Let's let's is that is that a reasonable um, is that likely? And if it were likely, how would we manage it? And just having those ideas and strategies in the back pocket is so empowering, even if you don't need to use them. And it makes so much sense because when we are in a state of anxiety, it does feel like 
an ambiguous kind of fog and it's hard to ground in reality. But Mm. as an adult, we do begin to learn how to do that. We learn how to sort of stress test our thoughts or fact check ourselves and pull ourselves back to the moment and we develop mindfulness techniques and we learn how to get through these things. But for a child who's feeling anxious, they are like, you know, and I'm certainly not qualified in the space of psychology or any kind of medical field at all. I'm just kind of hypothesizing here with you. But the way that I think about anxiety for a child is like it kind of takes their logical brain offline a little bit Mm -hmm. and they stay stuck in that fight, flight, freeze, panic response. And so having facts to ground themselves in through the story allows them then to access the logical brain and to feel yep. more at peace and to bring themselves more online, if that makes exactly. sense. I think it's, you know, you don't want to send your, your child off into the unknown if they're anxious because it's going to just be terrifying for them. So whatever you do know, you want to put that in a form that you can convey to them so that things are expected rather than and expected and familiar wherever possible. So you know, for starting school, it's not going to be one story because there's so many different parts to cover. You're going to have a story about who the teachers might be. And then you might have a story about what their day is going to be like. And then there might be a story about what's going to happen at playtime. And the important story for us was what's going to happen at drop-off so that it was all very known and very familiar. And we even practiced our goodbye, which I know sounds really daggy, but it was really, really helpful. And our goodbye might be a bit crazy, but it involves um, a hug, if not two, and an allocated number of kisses, which we have decided and haggled over. And then it has a thumb war, which my kid often wins. And then it's a high five and then he goes. And we practiced it with the backpack on. And the reason we did it in that order was that he had some autonomy. He got to choose. He got to be in control. And then finishing with the high five, he wasn't snugged onto me. So we already had that physical separation and he'd already just won a thumb war and so he was off with confidence. Um, So I think practising, sometimes I think as parents we have all these, we think that our children's worries are quite big and quite um, nebulous but often when we talk to our kids they're very specific worries. Yeah, and kids do spend so much of their day out of control. I think about this a lot in the context of schooling. You know, I look Mm. at my boys at the end of the school day and they are often, I use the word cooked, like they're exhausted. They get in the car and I can tell that the cognitive load of having to be mindful of all of the rules and all of the social Mm. constructs Mm. and all of the things that they have to do and the way they have to hold it together it's a lot like, you know, they've got to be mindful of this teacher and what time is lunchtime and then what are the processes with lunchtime? And some kids don't struggle at all. Some kids breeze through it. Mm -hmm. But one of my boys who he's the sensitive one, more sensitive one, and he's diagnosed with inattentive type ADHD, processes for him are incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. So even just getting his items into his backpack Mm -hmm. is like a full day's work on his brain. I can see it. Like I can see it. And so I think about that a lot. I think about by the time that they get home and then we have more expectations on them. Yes. Often, you know, there's after school commitments or you might expect them to engage in homework. Like it's a really full plate for kids. 
So that brings that's another strategy that you've just sort of alluded to. So the other thing that really helps anxious kids or inattentive kids or kids who just have to work harder to go to get through all the process is visual plans. Um, you know, often we have checklists for ourselves. A visual plan is a picture plan for kids who aren't up to reading yet, and they can be useful as a picture plan or a, or a written plan even for older kids. And the point of a visual plan, well, I love them for a few reasons. First of all, um, you can use them to show a routine. So I use a visual plan with my kids in the morning because getting out the door to school and preschool is always stressful. I've got to get to work after. It's a rush. My kids will easily get distracted by anything, Lego, a sock, the chickens in the backyard, anything. So when we changed to having a visual plan and they could see what was coming next, they didn't have to rely on me to remind them. And it also changed the mood in our house because instead of sort of getting frustrated and getting a bit narky and shouty, which never feels good, I could say, what's next on your plan? And it was their plan and they could, and you know, before I could even say what's next, they'd have already identified it, pointed to it and run off to do it. So I am so with you. I, again, am just like nodding aggressively because (laughs) checklists are so important. in our household, right down to the fact, you know, like my boys are nearly 10, they'll be 10 very soon. And I still have a very, like a small whiteboard in our bathroom with the steps of washing hair for my son who struggles with processes because he also has long hair. And so there are these things that I do to scaffold him that do make it easier because then he's not using my brain all yep. of the time. Yep. And of course, of course, when you first start using checklists, they're still using your brain to be reminded that there is a checklist. Like it's not the solution where it's just like you write it once and it's done. But those checklists are so helpful. And yes, you can use visual ones for younger kids. But something I have wondered about as well, just on the topic of kids that are anxious and struggle sometimes to remember processes or struggle yep. to be adaptive, when is it that a parent should be looking further into it because as my kids have gotten older, I see things and I think, oh, perhaps there is some autism at play here or perhaps this is more than anxiety. So I was just I reckon as soon as you have that, look, I'm into early intervention. That's just, I can't help it. Um, You know, our kids are young for such a short amount of time and if you think there's something extra From a general medical perspective on any diagnosis, the question is, is it going to help to have a diagnosis? Is it going to change my management? And if you think that you are going to approach your child differently or their teachers might approach them differently or they might have more supports that they need if you knew that they needed something different to the regular, to regular, I hate that word, but to the kids sitting next to them, then I think there's, what's the harm in pursuing? I mean, there's one harm, which is always the expense. Um, but other than that, I don't see a, a palm. So I would start with GP or paediatrician and getting their perspective. And then there are so many experts in the field um, and I'd, I'd be guided, guided by your GP or paediatrician on where to go next. But I do think that if you're having the thought, you know, I was talking to someone recently and their child wasn't walking and it was a bit late, but, you know, the milestones for what's normal, they're so broad, aren't they, for so many aspects of our kid's life, you know, When should your child be able to, you know, neatly pack and unpack their backpack and remember their school bag, you know, regularly? 
it's a broad range. And so same for this this mum who was asking about, and I'm not a paediatrician, by the way, but, you know, the walking seemed a little bit late. For her, there was nothing wrong. But had there been something and there was hip dysplasia or something, you'd want to know early because you could get in and help that child. And I think it's the same whether you can see or whether it's a visible difference or if it's something that you're wondering about how their mental processing is. I just think if it's going to lead to management change and a different perspective and maybe some more gentleness on your part or less frustration on your part, I think that's all helpful. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I think you are so spot on there. It's the management, you know, even for myself, like I was diagnosed with ADHD this year and has it, has it changed my life dramatically in terms of how I, you know, like how I actually operate in the world? Mm. No, but has it changed my view of myself dramatically? Yes, because wow. I now am so much more compassionate with myself. Yes, exactly. And it's not about a whole pass of going, oh, well, I can blame everything on that difference, but it's just like, oh, now I know why certain yes. things and, and social. And you those insights into yourself. Yeah, so yeah. same with our kids, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. I think though, even for kids who don't have a diagnosis, you know, there's a lot of kids who really can, who won't thrive unless they've got the supports that they need. And it's not too much to ask to have a visual plan. Like a lot of classrooms, they have a visual plan for the day. And that's been helpful for both of my kids, my confident one and my anxious one. And they know, you know, they're going to start their day with, you know, with their main teacher and then they've got PE and then they have morning snack and then when lunch is. And then usually there's a little marker that goes down and so they can see what's happening next. And I think that's so, I mean, it sounds so simple, but it takes away the worry. They don't have to ask the teacher. They don't have to have the same thoughts circulating round and round in their head. They can check in independently and see what's happening next. And that's quite helpful for reducing anxiety. Absolutely. With your app, is there a visual planning element as well? Of course. Of course, she says. <laughs> okay, course. that's good to know. Um, because basically this app is all the tools that I find helpful for my child that were a pain in the ass. I am not an artist and I did used to try and draw out a little visual plan, you know, for morning routines or to just explain how the day would run um, because it makes a big difference. And especially if I could show them the plan the day before, I find on holidays um, – my kids are homebodies and it might be like you say, Kylie, you know, these kids are doing so much during the day and just the mental load of getting through the school day is enough and they're cooked and so on weekends my kids are very happy to stay home. Um, but I would quite to like, like to get out and go for a walk and I'm not going to leave them by themselves, they're too little. So I will put on the visual plan that we're doing exercise and so on our visual plans for the day we've got the negotiables and the non-negotiables And it might be non-negotiable to do some exercise, but they will choose if they're going to go on a scooter or bike ride or rollerblade or walk, but it's going to happen. And so I think the thing I like about a plan is that 
some plans like the morning routine, you know, you as the parent might choose all the options, but then your child might choose the order and how long they've got for all of those options. And then for a day off, a weekend day or a holiday day off, you might say, well, these are the things that are going to happen and what else would you like? And then your children are involved in creating the plan and then they've got buy-in and autonomy and there's nothing unexpected and no nasty surprises. Yeah, I love that. I, also, I would also say that when there are surprises that are nasty, I prepare my kids. So if there's a task that they don't love or if there is going to the dentist or if there is tagging along with me to somewhere they don't want to go, I don't want to have that fight to get out the door. So if I've prepared them and I, you know, sandwich it between two things that they are okay with, it just takes away that argument at the time. I know that when we're worrying about our kids or they're struggling we feel it and it's so hard to not get caught up in whatever's going on for our kids. I try and think about it sometimes as like weather systems. I think oh, <laughs> like my son's in that weather pattern and I can be here and I can support him and love him and try not to get pulled into it. You know that quote though, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. I have mixed feelings about it. I have mm. mixed feelings about it because I believe it. I live it. And at the same time, I also know I have to actually disentangle at times so that I can be better at responding. But that's like a whole other conversation. (laughs) Something I think it's worth touching on, though, is just the pleasure, like the elation and the joy that we do experience as a parent of an anxious child over the things that other parents probably take for granted because it's not a thing you know they've got other battles you know no no one gets out of parenting without some sort of battle oh can I tell you about my kids first day of school so my eldest is my anxious one and um so first day of school so over the summer holidays we'd visited the school he hadn't even wanted to walk to the gate but we'd got up to walking to the gate We'd done the stories a lot. He was really familiar with his teacher. We knew the drop-off routine. We'd gone through all the stories. He was like, I'm done with the stories, mum. Like, okay, okay. And so first day we got into the school, me and my husband, and um, four kids were crying in the class, four. And they were meant to be at tables and colouring in. And my little boy left his table and came over and sort of crept up to me and he wanted to whisper in my ear. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And he crept up and he said, it's okay, you can go now, mum. And I was, I mean, now I feel a bit teary thinking about it, but I just was like, woohoo! And so all the other parents were going, going, oh, my baby started school and crying in their cars. And I was like, let's pop some champagne. This is awesome. To have a happy child at that drop-off was like elation, pure elation. Absolutely. And when you've really gone through it and you know how much of a struggle it can be, (laughs) when you do have those wins, I think it is really important to allow yourself to feel that joy and just go like, how amazing. This is wonderful. We did it. Yep. It's going to be you as that bus drives away for school camp and your son waves you goodbye and is like, see you, mom. It's so funny. You'll be like, we did it. Because I said uh, to one of my girlfriends, I said, I know that I will cry when he gets on the school bus tomorrow. I'll keep it together until he goes. But I said, like, I'll be crying and I'll be thinking to myself, well, I'll see you in a few hours anyway. (laughs) Because I know know I'll be picking him up. I just know it. I I Mm. love him so much and I so am so proud of him that he wants to try. Because even the fact that he wants to try is massive. It's huge. 
And I also know fairly confidently, like I think I can predict the outcome because we only yep. just tried a sleepover on Friday night and there was a phone call at 7.30 and it was, I'm okay, but I just wanted to tell you I miss you and I am going to do this and I'm fine. Okay, that's yep. awesome. I I love you. I'm so proud of you. You're doing a great job. No problems. It's nearly bedtime, then 8.30. Mom, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep if I'm not at home. I said, I completely understand. That's a normal concern. And it might take a bit longer for you to go to sleep. It might be harder. That's a good one. But I, These are all perfect things oh, to say. I don't know if they are, my love. But, it, yeah. but then I said to him as well, I said, every single night of your life, you've fallen asleep. Like every night you get to sleep, even on the nights that it takes longer because he gets stuck in this loop of, I can't sleep. I'll never, like, not that he'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the pressure to get to sleep and then he's all like, I'm so sorry that I'm not asleep. And it's like, it's okay. You're going to get to sleep. It's okay. And so I said to him, you know, you will sleep. You might be more tired tomorrow because you've had a later night. And I said, and we've all had days where we're more tired. Like, you know, trying to talk him through, like, you don't need to worry because even if that happens, it will still be okay. 11 p.m. we get the phone call from the mum. I think that you need to come and get him because he's really upset now. So that was only Friday night and we're now looking at school camp on Wednesday. And I was so even like on the fence about the Friday night sleepover because I thought if it goes well, yes, it's going to build efficacy and confidence. And if it goes poorly, it might take him back a few steps. But I'm trying to frame it to him as going – Yes, you didn't make it all night, but you made it further than you've made it before. Absolutely. And yes, you've had to hit eject and you've had to come home, but you can see that that's okay. Like it's okay. So that's what, you know, I've spoken to his school teacher and I've said to them, if he has to come home, he has to come home and that's okay. I'm not going to make him feel bad about it. You know, I think that's the thing. I'm so glad you said that because there's so much about, I can hear from what you've said, he already feels bad. He already knows he's different. Yes. And we do not need to be adding that pressure to their shoulders. These kids are doing the best they can, the very best. And so we just support them. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's hard sometimes. It is hard to always come from that place of compassion when you're exhausted yourself. Yeah. But I think always coming back to that, there's so little like they're so yes. little and they're so helpless and they're so reliant on us. We are their whole world. Um, yep. And so it makes sense that they turn to us when things are feeling hard. 100%. Where can our listeners get the Courageous Kids app? Oh, it's on the app stores. So it's on Google Play and it's on um, Apple. And because there are, it's a library of stories and visual plans, um, Download it to a tablet rather than a phone if you can because you've got your child on your lap and they like to flick through the pages. Um, And, of course, if you don't want to use screens with your kid, that's totally fine. You can download all the stories and print them out and you can print out your visual plans and your children can colour in a little paw print for every day that they tick off something on the list. Um, So everything is printable. And then there's a few games just to build familiarity in different settings as well. What age bracket is it designed for mainly? Um, so I made it for two to seven-year-olds because the stories are around firsts. So going to preschool, going to school, going to the dentist, going to a birthday party, using the toilet, you know, those transitions. Um, but I have got a lot of feedback that it's been used by older kids as well, particularly the visual plans, because it's a bit cooler to have them on an iPad than all those 
for some kids, they you can get little um, Velcroed images of stick figures doing all the different jobs, and they're just a bit babyish. So the visual plans, I'm getting good feedback even from teenagers. So good. Well, congratulations on creating your app. I can imagine it hasn't been an easy thing to bring to life, but I can tell you're so (laughs) passionate about it. And I'm just so fascinated by this concept. And I'm really interested to hear from our listeners as they do download the Courageous Kids app and get involved with it. Like I want to hear from people. I want them to tell me how it's going for their family because as I've said a million times, my two are, you know, 10 and I'm sure they would still benefit from a lot of it. But I wish that I had have tried this technique when they were a bit younger because it's something I didn't try. And I promise you, I threw everything else at the wall. (laughs) Like I tried everything. (laughs) So I certainly would have given this a crack had we had this conversation a few years ago. (laughs) Thanks, Kylie. I love hearing back from people as well. And it's just... It's lovely to hear the wins. I just love sharing the wins with parents and, you know, we need them, yeah, don't we? Yeah, parenting is a wild ride. Like I've been saying a lot lately, it is the most exhausting honour. Like <laughs> that's how it yes. feels. It's an honour, <laughs> it's a blessing, it's the best thing and it's also the hardest thing sometimes. So true, so true. Well, I hope that this makes it easier because, you know, we're all running on our own little rat wheel sometimes and sometimes you just need to be thrown a line that makes life that little bit easier. Thank you. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.